Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Catching Up After College podcast. We have another amazing guest today. He is a software engineer and an audio engineer as well by night. And uh, he's talking about race today. He's talking about his experiences growing up in Mississippi, moving to like six different states. And yeah, just a lot of great stuff. If you're a minority and you're in his field of work, being a software engineer, it's a must listen to, if that's a phrase. We have Luther Martin here with us today. Hey, man, what's up? Hey, that was not rehearsed. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, let's go. safe space grounded in grace and our aims always to aid we may be postgraduates but we're never post-learning i'm isaiah brown your host and thank you for tuning in today today we have the amazing luther martin here with us hey dude how's it going hey man how's it going dude i'm good how are you i'm pretty good i just noticed your name is luther martin that sounds strangely familiar to someone else <laughs> you you just noticed that bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm seeing it on my iPad. I read notes while doing this. So while saying it out loud, you, I didn't notice it. Dude, I've literally gotten jokes about my name my entire life. I've been Luther Vandross. I've been Martin <laughs> Luther King. I've been Lex Luther. I've been Martin Luther, uh, the, the Catholic Church uh, reformist. Um, wow. I've heard it all, man. It's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm used to it. Dang. I've I've pretty much um come to terms with no come to terms with knowing that uh if I ever Google myself, I'll probably be on like page five thousand, ten thousand. <laughs> I'll never be at the headline. <laughs> yeah. Well what's your middle name? The mine. It's um I'm I'm really named after my grand great grandfather. Okay. So, um, I wasn't named after Martin Luther King or uh, anything or anyone um, like that or a famous like that, but it's just my great grandfather. Dang. So it's just a coincidence kind of. I think so. Unless. Yeah, for sure. Because my great grandfather is probably um, beyond Martin Luther King's generation. So yeah, um, for sure. For sure. I think it's just a coincidence. Wow. That's crazy coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. All right. So for the audience out there, today's actually going to be a bit different. So as you can see in the current events, besides the coronavirus, some crazy stuff has been happening lately with the unjust killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the list goes on. And sadly, this chain of events, it's happened before in a similar fashion in the black community. But Luther was gracious enough to jump on here and talk about his own experiences I want to tell everybody, neither of us are experts on this subject, even though we're both black men and have experienced, you know, racism, discrimination and 
our own spheres of life. But yeah, that's what we do on this show. We share experiences because we don't have all the answers, but we have some for sure. So yeah, thank you again, Luther, for being flexible today. Yeah, dude. Um, I really think this is important. It's an important time in our history. Um, we we really owe it to the the next generation to really speak to these issues that are facing the black community and injustices that we're seeing. Um, yeah, man, it's just really good to be here and I'm, I'm glad to see what you're doing. Yeah, it's going to be good for sure. I'm excited because I don't have to say anything. <laughs> you will not leave me out here like this. Uh, yeah, it's all good. I'm, I'm here to help. Yeah, no worries. But yeah, we're, we're going to ease into this as we said. And, First of all, tell the audience how many states you've lived in so far. For how long? Just any period of time? Like a, anywhere from a month to two months? or like I'll let you be the judge of that. All right. All right. I'll give two months as the, the minimum amount to call myself living there. Um, so Mississippi, Michigan, St. Louis. Uh, well, that's Missouri, rather. Um, New York, uh, in California, I think. So last, oh, Virginia, forgot about that place. Dang, yeah. was um, that six, seven? Dude, I I think so, but I I never actually, I've never actually been asked that question or thought about it like that in terms of the different places I've lived. Yeah, uh, most places were like, uh, roughly three months for each of those. Besides Mississippi, New York, and California, um, the other places were job stints that I, I went on for a rotation, for one reason mm-hmm. or another, uh, and oh. it was like usually three months. Yeah. Okay. Just shorter periods of time. Yeah. All right. Well, that leads us into our game: California, New York, or Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> you you ready for this? <laughs> dude, it's dude. All of those places for a certain period of time in my life was just, I didn't want to be any other place but that place, you know, as I, I enjoy living in the moment. Like I, I wouldn't choose to go back right away to any of those other places. I, I enjoy where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was forced to pick some place, um, I mean, New York, the East Coast is still really close to my heart right now. I've been out here in California only like a year and a half. Um, so a, a lot of my good friends, um, people I love, uh, people who really poured into me and people I've gotten to pour into are on the East Coast uh, mm-hmm. right now. Uh, but, but of course, I have a bunch of family in Mississippi, and I love them to death. That would always be home. But um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy where I am, but the East Coast is, is still pretty nice. I don't like the weather, but it's it's pretty nice. Okay. So your answer is D, all the above? <laughs> Yeah, man, the, uh, the here and now, all the above. I, I loved all those places. Um, I, if I could have to choose any place for us like to live long term, it's probably going to be California or somewhere with this kind of climate. The Mississippi is way too hot, way too many bugs. New York, way too much snow. Um, California is just great weather, man. I'm, I'm loving it so far. Mm, you passed the test. This interview can continue now. <laughs> <laughs> since we're based in california but yeah, yeah you know <laughs> i feel you man cool man all right so this kind of touches on what you just said but 
where are you from and can you describe what your life was like before college? Yeah, dude. Um, so as I said, I grew up in Mississippi, the deep south, um, the Bible Belt. Um, I'm in the middle of five children. My mom has nine siblings. My dad has one. I um, grew up in a very large family environment. Um, it, if to the to the outside eye, you would think that my extended uh, family would be immediate family. So our cousins, we were always around each other, always spending time together. Um, every every major and minor holiday, we use that as an excuse to get together as a family and barbecue. Uh, literally at almost every event, I was probably meeting a new member of my family, some extended cousin, some new cousin that was just being born. Um, we're always getting new people into the family. The family was always growing. It was always an exciting time, man. I just, I grew up in a very family-centered um, environment. Um, I was raised in church. Um, we're, we're referred to as pew babies. So literally, people make jokes that we were born in a church pew somewhere because we, we literally spent three to four days in church every day, uh, every week, rather. Wow. Um, this was like the old school Pentecostal holiness church. Um, <laughs> if you ain't in church or or sleeping somewhere, you, you you ain't in the wheel, right? And well, I shouldn't say that they didn't mean it like that, but the, you know, <laughs> we 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 enjoyed church. We enjoyed being around each other. We enjoyed um, when we got together. It was great stuff, man. Um, and it was a huge emphasis on getting together in community in an organized setting, like a church building, um, on a regular basis. Um, so I, I, I'm a pew baby in that sense. Um, my mom, I lived with both of my parents up until about eighth grade. Um, my parents divorced. We, uh, lived in a town called Madison. It's like a white suburb just North of Jackson. Um, and that was, that was an experience in and of itself because we were the minority in the neighborhood, um, in school, I was the minority. Um, so that's came with a, a couple few experiences, interesting experiences. Um, both of my parents, they, they work really, really hard. Uh, they spent a whole lot of time doing various things. My dad, he pretty much was a salesman for a bakery company all his life, but on the side, he owned, uh, um, a carpet cleaning service where he would go and just do upholstery work, uh, for various, um, like carpets, sofas. Uh, he had some people that were working with him, work for him go around town. He got a pretty good reputation in that area, but doing pretty good work. My mom kind of just did a bunch of things. Uh, she started off in restaurant management and then she um, stopped that and, and did a, her own full-time company uh, that was around industrial um, uh, post-construction cleaning services. And then she did industrial supply work. Um, and now recently she's a, a market manager for uh, some restaurants down in the South, of course. Um, yeah, man. So, I mean, I guess this is maybe a typical life, um, for the, for the kids growing up in that area. Um, with my parents working so much, the, the people that raised me were, it was, it was like a group project amongst my parents, my aunties, my older cousins. Um, like I said, family was just always around. Um, it was, it was a good time, good, big parties. And I, I still enjoy going back even to this day. Cause I get to see all of my family. It, it's 
when you get so many of us and all the same type of people in the room together, it's it's fireworks every single time and in the best and worst ways. But um, I'm here for it all. I'm enjoying it. I love them all. That's awesome, man. How many cousins you got? Dude, I couldn't count them. We <laughs> 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 even try to count. I mean, my mom has nine siblings. My dad has one. They all, I think they all have kids. They all have kids. And some of them, their kids have kids. Um, and then all my mom's cousins, her sister, my mom's mom also had nine siblings or somewhere around there. I can't, I don't remember all of them. Wow. And my, my dad's mom, uh, had a bunch of siblings as well. So I have a bunch of second cousins. Um, yeah, it's a really large family. Yeah. I can't, can't, I can't count. No, it sounds fun though. It's the bigger the family, the more fun, you know? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Growing up with my cousins, I mean, we stayed into things. There was never a dull moment when we were together. Nice. So how did you know college was going to be the right path for you personally? Dude, if I'm honest, just growing up in the environment that I grew up in and my uh, my dad being educated, he got a bachelor's degree. Uh, My mom had some college. And then just the environment that that we grew up in the high school that I went to, it really never crossed my mind as not being an option. Um, at high school, we always talked about it. Everything was a preparation up to go to college. All my friends, the way they were raised, they, they were going to college. Um, all my parents' friends were college people. Some of them were using educators and had PhDs. Um, so it, we, we really valued education uh, in our household. And college was just... We were for sure going to college just as certain as we were going from the 10th grade to 11th grade. So uh, college was always going to be a thing for us. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So how many of your other siblings did you say went to college? Uh, All of us went to college. Um, Some of us, well, some of them rather have advanced degrees. So my sister... She was the first, she's the oldest. Um, she went to college for exercise science. My brother went for business or marketing. Then he later went back for a master's. And now he's headed to pilot school in a random change of events he's doing that. I have a, a younger sister. She's She went to undergrad for biology. She's now in optometry school. And then I have another younger sister who's in college studying computer engineering. So we're we're all at least started college. Uh, some of us have already graduated. Some of us are still in school. Um, so all of us. Dang, y'all are smart. <laughs> I don't know if I would, I would say it like that, but we, we do have this tendency to try to work really hard and, um, and achieve just, we get that from, I think my mom, cause she's, she works so hard, man. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome, man. All right, to switch it up a bit, at what point in your life did you realize race was going to be an issue you face often? Um, I would I would have to say late middle school uh, to high school, I start to perceive things differently. Um, so, I mean, y- y- you know, before the years leading up to those, that late middle school to high school, 
I mean, I didn't I didn't really focus on race at all. I we weren't really taught a lot about it in school, uh, at least not in the school district that I went to. I had friends um mainly of the opposite race at school at least. But of course I had a bunch of uh, you know, cousins and family, so I the people around me were uh, they looked all different shades. Um so I, I didn't really I didn't pay any attention until probably about the end of end of eighth grade, the beginning of high school, where I don't know, like I started listening to some of the conversations and some of the opinions that my educators at school held. And I started realizing, you know, when they talked about the things um, like school districts around us or different views on certain topics, I started to see how either those those views that they didn't like um, reflected like my cousins and where they went to school and um, in those, I guess, those perspectives that they didn't really appreciate or either the perspectives of my parents um, or some of my family members. And so I started to kind of just put the things, I started to put it, the two and two together where they started not to like things that black people were involved in, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of when I noticed it. And then also just, I think because I didn't have a really big guard up at that time, some of that stuff really started to like creep into my ideology. Um, so it really started to affect my identity. Um, so if, if I was always like a taller, bigger guy, um, and just the media and the way people perceive black people, um, those people come off as dangerous, uh, at first sight. So I, I always kind of felt like this burden to disarm other people and let other people know I'm, I'm not dangerous. So I, I like, even like the way I started viewing myself or people that look like me was like this, I don't know, this, um, implicit or this, I should say subconscious, um, um, subconscious view of black people and associating them with someone who could be dangerous. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was definitely a, a struggle. I would say internally and externally, because um, growing up in a white suburb um, and being the very few black people, you know, police officers, they they looked at you differently. Um, and some of that's because they felt like the neighboring cities, uh, the cities a little further south, maybe uh, 20 minutes south of where we live, which are primarily uh, African-Americans. They felt like any black people that were in their community must have come from those towns. And coincidentally, some of those towns um, had more crime and violence associated with them. So they looked at us as if, all right, you're probably one of the people from that other town. There's no way you belong in this neighborhood. And because you're from the other place, you could be dangerous. So let me just keep a, a special eye on you. Let me let me drive behind you a little bit longer than I drive behind different other cars, uh, usually. Or, you know, when you go into a store... Um, let me um, let me let me follow you around. You know, if I didn't if I didn't have like a clean cut um, or like uh, my beard shaped up or a haircut, you, you just got treated differently. You know, people looked at you as a little um, they were a little bit more weary of you. You know, the things that naturally make us black, how our hair grows, things that uniquely identifies us um, like our the way we appear to others. Um, if I didn't keep those things nice and trimmed, um, I could even. I could be it. I don't know. People just tended to treat me differently. Um, I remember going to a friend's house 
uh, like one of my wife friends' house. Um, and at some point, as when I got older, it started it started not being okay for me to go in. I remember uh, I remember explicitly one time I went to a friend's house, um, and we literally sat outside the entire time when we talked. And, and it's it's almost as if um, I was the first black person to come to their house, and they didn't know how to react. <laughs> so we just naturally. Uh, where they just naturally kept me outside. I didn't get invited in. Um, and I think it, that was probably one of the clearest, um, I guess the, the clearest things I can remember to this point where I was like, people that close to me, people that I love, um, thought were my friend, um, may have had like some um, some prejudice built up that they were, were not conscious of. Um, yeah. Um... Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And going back to, you said you had to make, I guess, people or white people feel more comfortable around you. In what ways did you do that? And how do you balance that today with uh, if you still make people comfortable, but also being your authentic self? Yeah. Dude, to be honest, this is something I still struggle with today. And usually the way I do it is by either smiling more, uh, trying to be more articulate than I would uh, usually be. But I'm just being my normal self. Uh, just letting people know that, hey, I'm I'm an educated man. And because of that, I'm somebody and I shouldn't be uh, viewed as a threat. I mean, that was that's a real burden that I care. When I walk into a room and I'm the only Black person, I have to, I don't know, I try to make myself we naturally like stand out in those rooms. And I, I don't know, I, I somehow try to mute myself in the sense of, I don't want to stand out. I don't want to, uh, I want to look and speak. I should say speak like everyone else does. I don't want to do anything additional to cause it, um, any special attention to me. Um, and to be honest, that's something I, I still struggle and face with uh, face today. Um, I'm becoming more and more myself as I get more confidence in who I am and what, uh, I guess what I bring to the table as I become more and more aware of that and become, I guess, uh, okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm more who I am. I don't, I don't feel the need to disarm other people. I don't feel the need to impress folks. I just, I don't know. I'm just, I accept that I am who I am. I'm loved and made by God. And if you don't like it, then you got the problem, not me. So, <laughs> but that's, that's coming with time and that's coming with age and maturity and, I guess, more self-assurance, self-confidence. Yeah, that's a tough question to answer because you want to make people feel comfortable, but like you have to be yourself as well and people have to learn how to grow. So when you're making people comfortable all the time, they can't actually grow in a sense. They have to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dude, you're absolutely right. And you know, it's it's just sad that you even have that that feeling though, because the the color of someone's skin in and of itself should never make someone uncomfortable, mm -hmm. as if they like chose to be that color, and because they chose to be that color, they now have these certain character traits. You know, no, that's that's not real, and yeah, I don't. It's it's a sad situation. It's a sad state to be in to to feel that burden as a as a black person or any person of color that you have to let the other folks know that you know, um, that you're no threat, that it, it's, it sucks to be in that situation or just to feel that, but you're right. I got to continue to be who I am. I know there's this professor, um, at Georgia tech 
He's a computer science professor, um, probably one of the smartest guys. I mean, he's he's intellectually just so far out that he specializes in machine learning. Uh, and he's also one of the deans in the college. And Georgia Tech is like, he's one of the top engineering schools in, in this in our nation. Um, and he's the dean and he's unapologetically black. I mean, and I mean, he puts on no front. He He talks in a way that I'm familiar with that relates to the culture that I was brought up or I say black culture. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't feel the need um, to be extra articulate or extra sassy or anything. He's just himself and he makes no apologies for it. I, I, I imagine um, I'll get to that place at some point, but yeah, that's the, that's the kind of person like I really look up to black leadership who, know that they're black and make no apologies for it, you know? Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah, me too. I want to get there too, you know, be, be the realest real person to ever be real, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I may have to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Well, that kind of leads me into the next question. You're talking about uh, the professor. Would you say you had a diverse experience in college in the sense that you're exposed to different people and mindsets that you weren't used to? Yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll tell you, I, so I, all through my primary education, um, I was in uh, a predominantly white school. I was usually the only black person in my class, uh, maybe one or two of us. Um, but when I went to college, I chose to go to an HBCU, which is, you know what HBCU is, a historically black college university is a school really built to educate black people when other schools wouldn't let black people come there so i went to one of those schools and man was that a different experience than what i was used to i may even say i had a little bit of culture shock in the good ways and the bad ways because i mean i mean people are people regardless we all have pros and cons but i mean just going to a, a hbcu was a radically different experience in terms of like a, a education setting uh, or a learning setting that I was used than I was uh, used to before. So for sure, um, how, how black people interacted with other black people in a classroom setting was different. How black professors taught, um, how they related that whatever we were learning to whatever we were learning to real life was different than what um, my usually white teachers did in high school uh, and lower. So just that fact alone gave me a different perspective. Um, and, but it, my my college was twenty minutes up the road, so it's it's not a a radically different uh different mindset than where I was or where I grew up. I mean, we were all still in the Bible Belt. We were all pretty um grounded religious people. No one was um, just it, it, it's not they no one was too far removed from what was around them. Um, but I think I still. It wasn't until I started going to internships out of state and I would go to these either another university um, that would that was usually a primarily um, predominantly white university or a top tier engineering school. Well, I really started to be challenged um, and I really came in contact with different mindsets. Um, I mean, to especially around in the area of faith, because I'm usually with some engineering, some person who's um really scientific, very logical in their thinking. Um, and they apply that to almost every sphere of their life, including religion and God and faith. Um, so I was always being met with challenge. Here I am, this 
this guy from the Bible Belt who claims to be an engineer and subscribes to logic and reason. And I'm claiming to believe in God and to them that that didn't all align with reason and science. So even to this day, my job, uh, all of my internships and research experience throughout the years, I'm usually faced with people who believe differently than I am. Um, and then I'm in the South. Like, so the South, yeah, most of the Black the most of the black community in the south at least in mississippi are liberals um but it's a different kind of liberal than what you will see in new york or california in in comparison we're quite uh quite conservative so when i moved to these other states i got um exposed to a lot of uh, very very liberal ideas uh as it relates to policy and people um and how you know one should choose to live their life so for sure i mean college was a place where i had a lot of different um perspectives and ideals thrown at me it was it was good and it was challenging yeah for sure man uh can you recall a season of having to learn new skills or having to adapt to your environment to survive every season man like i don't i don't know a season where i didn't have to adapt in some fashion um i mean from from in college, at least, starting off uh, from going to each of the different internships, there was there were different parts of the country. I at this point I had lived in Mississippi or in close proximity to my family, um, so I had this degree of comfort that was completely removed when I went away on internships while I was in college. So I had to learn how to build friendships. I had to learn how to get out of my comfort zone and make a networking connection as it relates to like the industry. Um, I had to learn new skills. Uh, most of what college does is give you the fun- fundamentals um, to succeed in your in your um, in your in your domain. But when you go to these different companies or these specialized uh, research centers, they're looking for a specific set of skills that usually you don't learn in any kind of, um, I guess, bachelor's program or fundamental education. So it was a lot of studying, a lot of trying to come up to speed on new technologies. Um, in every sphere, man. I mean, even in college, like I had to learn how to be a Christian on my own. Like I moved out of my parents' house. I wasn't forced to go to church. I guess to a certain degree, I was still in close proximity. So it was a little bit easier than when I moved to New York and I knew no one, but learning how to like get readjust and I don't know, get disciplined and establish routine. Um, every, every season um, I'm learning something new. And I hope that's always true. If I'm not learning something new, then I'm bored, then I'm not growing, then I'm stagnant. So, I mean, every every season that as far as I can remember, um, I'm, I'm learning something new, I'm developing a new skill. Um, I'm trying to do something to um, adapt and meet some new requirement that the environment has placed on me. True that, man. Always growing. You got to be. <laughs> so, oh, uh, what has been the biggest roadblock or hurdle you hurdle you've had to face since graduating college hands down self self discipline and balance mm-hmm. um primary education and then even college has structure and you know you're expected to go to class at a certain time um in in primary education i mean if you didn't show up i mean your parents would go to jail pretty much if you didn't show up for class so i mean there was there was uh, you had to do that. The structure was laid out for you, and you had to follow. And in college, to a certain degree, if you wanted to succeed, um, 
with, you know, decent grades. You had to wake up. You had to go to school at a certain schedule for uh, a good period of time. Um, and that was, I mean, that was just a path. Like, you knew if you did X, Y, and Z, you would end with this result. You went to class, did, you passed your test, you would graduate, you know. Um, when you, when I graduated and, like, went into, quote, unquote, the real world, there was no path. There was no straight line. There was no linear path to say, if you do this, you're going to end up here. It was literally, you know, a, a big wide area and there was no straight line or direction to what success meant. It was, there was no right or wrong um, path necessarily as it relates to where you're going to choose to live and, and, and uh, work. Uh, decisions that I didn't have to make before, like, um, to a certain degree, I, di I didn't have a choice whether I was going to go to church. Um, when I when I moved to New York, I really <laughs> I really had a choice like things on like choosing to eat healthy or not eat healthy. I mean, so many, so many things that I realized I had made like so I had formed so many bad habits as a child or I relied on my parents or the structure to keep me in line. Um, I had realized I had like that became a crutch. So when I graduated, all of that went away and it was now completely on me um, to maintain uh, or to, to put good practices in place that were further my life. Um, and a lot of times those practices don't feel good. They're not fun. They're not comfortable. They don't taste good. Um, but you still got to do it if you want to if you want a good life. Um, so that's when self-discipline comes into place. Um, and yeah, that's that's something I struggle with to this day. It's something that's been on my heart. I just had a a pretty uh, meaningful conversation with some friends not long ago, yesterday, and the day before in this area, of where I want to be able to um, not only identify what's right or what I feel like God is leading me to do, or I want to be able to I, I want to be able to go beyond just having a vision of what my life looks like. But mm -hmm. also being able to implement it, being able to make the necessary steps to carry out, being able to make the hard and the good decisions in the face of temptation, being able to, um, I guess, have self-sacrifice uh, for, uh, I guess, a long-term um, happiness or health or whatever. You know, not not always choosing the most comfortable thing in the moment because it's, you know, comfortable, you know. So hands down, self-discipline, dude, all day I can talk about that and where I lack and where I need to get better. Oh, me too, man. You know, it's a journey for sure. <laughs> but yeah, ex that's explain the biggest. It. Oh, say that again. Continue. I was just saying that's that's probably been the biggest learning, the biggest impediment for me. Mm hmm. So explain again what you do for work. Uh, I'm a software engineer. I um, engineer computers. Basically, I, I write software uh, usually at the system level. So the system level meaning um, the fundamental software that allows the system to boot, um, to manage the hardware resources that are on the system. Um, I program those things. Um, so I, I really like it a whole lot. I, I I'm proud of the products that um, I've got to, I've gotten to work on. 
there have been pretty consequential products in the world. Before I, I came out to California, I was working at IBM and we worked on mainframes, which to most people is a, a very old machine that is, um, they may view as outdated, but really those systems are like the backbone of the banking finance uh, finance industries. Um, so being able to work on those consequences, consequential uh, systems, and then coming here <clears throat> more on the consumer side, um, like developing software that may go into a Macintosh computer or an iPhone um, that a lot of people can consume. That's That's been pretty awesome because now you got friends who get to have their hands on something that you may uh, have had contributions to. Um, so it's I'm pretty proud of the work that I do. It's software development, software engineering. It's good stuff. Cool, man. And uh, in your workplace, have you ever had to face discrimination of any form? I think I don't I don't I don't really know people's angle or motive. Um, so as far as I can tell, the main difference between me and the next person um, in my in my job is my skin because we both have similar skills we're both you know performing at a satisfactory level yet and still um opportunities come to those people differently than they may come to me mm-hmm. or they may be included on design design discussions that i'm qualified to speak on but i wasn't invited um here recently especially around this time of the year where we're gearing up for reviews um and your you know your management lay out to you what's what's expected for you to reach such and such review or such and such uh, rating on your review. Um, and I just feel like as a as an African-American man um, in these environments, usually there's two of us in our in our department, two black people in our whole department. Uh, and that's probably like, I don't know how many people, maybe 60 to 70 people. There's two of us. Uh, I just feel as though like just to just to even compare or to be treated as equal, we gotta do twice the work. Um, there's there's no room for mistakes. You gotta you gotta you you can't get too passionate about what you're talking about because then you're yelling at someone. Um, and if you do that one time, you know that's held against you for a while. That's the guy that's yelling. He, you know, he doesn't have um, you know self control. He's the the angry black guy. Um, or you just feel like you feel the goalposts moving. Like where your let's say your management may say you know you have to do X Y and Z to retreat to achieve um, an exceeds rating. When you achieve that, you go back in for another one on one. It's like oh now that has moved a little bit more further out. And I'm like, what what's going on, man? Just do you not want to give me that kind of rating? Like, why why is it that I feel like the goalpost uh, is always moving? Why is the target always moving for um, for me? as it relates to getting an ex- exceptional rating. Um, so I, I I really, unfortunately, I feel like race plays a part. I don't know if it's done maliciously or just from a lack of awareness and consciousness around it. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that's real and something that I face. Um, people, People tend to review my designs or critique my designs um, more critically than others. And usually uh, things that are not substantive are are brought out. So like something that's stylistic about the way I code 
people are complaining about that versus something that is functional. Um, and usually stylistic changes, you know, coding can almost be like an art. You know, it, not everyone's going to have the same style of coding, but functionally it should be, it should work correctly. It should follow a, a cohesive design that's, you know, maintainable. Um, but when you start it, when you start getting critiques in the style area, it's just like, okay, what's, what's really going on here? Cause you didn't, you don't critique this other guy for his style and y'all don't have the same style, but yet it's still you're critiquing my style. So those are, I mean, those are some of the examples that I feel like race may, may play a role. And it's unfortunate in the industry that I'm in, you don't see a lot of black people in leadership to really support you. Um, you there's, I mean, maybe two to 3% black people uh, in, in software engineering and tech. Uh, and maybe even lower if you remove like the retail spaces uh, that Apple may have or some of these other tech companies may have. So it can it can be a lonely experience. It can be a um, a challenging a challenging situation to be in, and you, you're trying to navigate it all because ultimately you want to get to those you want to get to the position where you can affect change, where you have a voice, so that the 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 next generation of African Americans coming into that that space, they're better off for it. Um, but getting to that place where you can affect change is a tricky, a tricky situation because it's almost if the the system or those positions weren't designed for you. Um, so getting there is it's it's difficult, it's challenging. Yeah, and how do you stay successful in that field of work despite facing all of that? And um. I'm a person who prides myself in the work uh, that I do and how what I contribute. I had someone, I asked uh, a guy who was pretty senior, um, you know, how did he get to the level that he got? Uh, how did he achieve the successes that he achieved and the respect? Um, and pretty much what he said, he, he did good work. He did the extra mile and um, he did the work no one else wanted to do, the hard stuff no one else wanted to do. So that's that's the strategy I'm employing, man. I'm trying to do really great work. I'm trying to be thorough in everything that I do. Um, ultimately, people can't argue with your work. They can argue with, you know, your personality. They can argue with um, things that are inconsequential to the actual product that that brings in revenue for a company. So I figure if I if I do good work, then people can't dispute that. So that's that's what I focus on. I'm always trying to get better at what I do. I'm trying to always learn the, the latest and newest technologies, trying to stay sharp on my skills, being extra thorough, doing a whole lot of tests. So when I when I submit a change that it doesn't break anyone else or affect anyone else adversely, any other product adversely adversely. Um doing the extra mile, man. You you have to for black people you almost have to be without without a, a flaw to to exceed high up in the ranks you you have to be extra careful you got to do great work you can't there's not much not much room for uh error so i try to minimize my errors to be honest <laughs> and, and sometimes that mean i produce work a little bit more slowly because i'm trying to account for every situation and trying to test you know uh, thoroughly but I, I think that's probably the best approach yeah, man, that sounds. Yeah, that sounds rough. But 
that's amazing that you're still shooting for excellence in everything that you do. But sounds like a lot of hard work, though, to put into all that. It It is hard work. The good thing about it is I like what I do, um, which make it not as bad. It makes it actually it makes a really big difference. I'm the fact that I, I like it. I like the problems that I'm solving. Um, the work is good. I like the products. I'm proud of the products. People consuming the products and they like the products. Um, that's that's fuel. You know, that's that makes the job easy. It make it not feel as much like work. Um, so that's I guess the, that's one thing I got going for me is that um, I enjoy what I do. So it doesn't feel too much like work all the time. Yeah. Cool, man. So after all that, life expectations before and after college, how have they changed in any way? Huh. Dude, when I was young in college and I was picking a career path and what I thought life was supposed to be about, I pretty much what drove me at that time was what can I do to make a lot of money? What 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 career field do I need to go into? How hard do I need to work? How um, you know how how good do I need to be, so I can amass a lot of wealth? Um, as I'm growing older, dude, that is like the that is nowhere near as important as I thought it was. What's really important are people. It's about loved ones. It's about relationships. It's about living beyond myself. Um. I was just thinking the other day, like, how many how many things do I do that ultimately don't that ultimately don't have some kind of reward for me or some kind of benefit to me? And there was very few things <laughs> that I could count. Um, like, I mean, sure, I can I can I can do something nice, like give someone buy someone's lunch or something like that. And ultimately, the reward for me is that good feeling that I feel. But what what kind of things do I do that um, I get no reward for them? And like, I wasn't comfortable with the number. It was very few things. Um, and that's ultimately, I want to be a person who lives beyond me, who lives outside of myself, who lives to serve other people. Um, and that's that's a very stark contrast to when I was younger. Younger was all about me and my building wealth and having this picture perfect life with a uh, uh, infinity pool in my back lawn. Um, but now it's, it's about relationships and healthy communion with God and other people. And um, yeah, just trying to, trying to make, trying to make life better for someone else. I would say. So it's a big change. <laughs> um, yeah, it is a big change for sure. That's great, man. <laughs> But uh, yeah. what uh books or podcasts or even music are you consuming right now? Uh, so <laughs> a moment of transparency. I I'm I'm really trying to learn how to work with different kinds of people. Uh, I'm I'm facing particular challenges at work with people. Um, it's a little bit more challenging for me to work in harmony with people that are a little that are radically different than the way I think. So I'm reading a book called, um, I hope I don't misquote this, but it's uh, how to win feel, how to win friends and and build influence or something along those lines. I'll, I'll follow up with the exact title. And it's really shown me how to effectively communicate. Um, and that's, that's where I am. I want to, I want to be a better communicator over 
in every aspect of my life. I want to relate to people better. Um, I want people to feel um, appreciated, heard, um, <laughs> respected after I've after I've communicated with them. And that hadn't always been the case in the past. And I need this. I need this for work. I need this for relationships. Um, so that's a book. I think it's by. Um, I had to go look up the author. I I started reading it not long ago. Uh, I'll I'll get back to you on that one, but that's that's been a really good book that's helping me interact with people better. Um, I love music, uh, though. Like when I was growing up, I wasn't allowed to listen to anything other than Christian music. Uh, so like mostly like gospel music, so black gospel artists artists. That's kind of expanded as I moved away and started attending uh more uh culturally diverse churches. But the still the whole genre of Christian music is, has stuck with me. So primarily I listen to Christian music. Every now and then I listen to some Drake. Um but I, I enjoy good music. I enjoy um just different sounds coming together. Uh, I appreciate that a whole lot. Um yeah. <laughs> Does that answer Ooh. your question? Yes it does. <laughs> cool, cool. Awesome. I just got two more for you. Want to respect your time. But uh, if there's one thing you could tell your high school self, what would it be? Oh, this is easy. This is easy. Um, what you do now or then, back in ninth grade, starting in ninth grade, it really, really does count. The habits you form, good or bad, they stick with you. Uh, what you do academically counts. It sets you up for you know, great colleges. Um, I wish I would have cared. I wish I realized that, or I had someone pounding in my head or not like keeping me on a tight rope. So I didn't make any mistakes or form any bad habits. Um, but that's not the way we were raised. We had a, a great deal of autonomy, but I would tell myself, you know, really consider the things that you're doing. Cause they are, they're going to set you up for success or failures. Um, or I shouldn't say failure, success or challenges later down the road. Um, so all the bad habits that I had that I thought would just maybe just fade away as I grew up, they're still here. Um, so now I'm trying to break these habits and habits are hard to break all the good habits that I didn't put in place. Um, I'm trying to form them. Some of the good things I had in terms of like, I was a really good uh, learner. I put a lot of value on studying and consuming new information, So that's paid off a lot for me. So, uh, it's not all bad, but ultimately I tell myself, you know, what you do matters. What you do right now counts, and it will affect you. It can affect you positively or negatively. Um, well into well into life down the road. Awesome, man. Amen. And let's end it. Let's end it with this one. If there was one solution a person of any ethnicity, gender, or social status could take to help make this world more equal, just a little thing that they could do. Uh, what's one, uh, I guess, solution they could bring? Hmm. So this could be done at a, a micro level and a, a macro level. Um, so a, a very small a individual person can do this or a person of great authority and power and that have a bunch of resources to bear can do this, but invest, invest in anyone 
or the anyone that you feel is a, is disadvantaged in education. Like I, for me, education hands down was my key um, up in life. It's what allows me to be flexible. It allows me to grow and adapt and transform um, um, as a person. If people don't have education, they're kind of like, they're stuck, they're stagnant. And there's so many communities, there's so many people. Um, my friends, I have family um, who just don't have access to quality education for one reason or another, either they can't um, afford to buy the books or they are in neighborhoods that don't have really great school districts. Um, so anything that you can do to invest in a person's education, I would I would tell them to do that. A person that's disadvantaged or who's not on, um, who doesn't have a, a premium or a quality education, invest in those people. Um, that's something I, I really want to start doing. I've done it in a in a sense of like going back to my um, my college back in at Jackson State and HBCU back in Mississippi, where there's a um, there's a good amount of uh, students who didn't have the strongest um, strongest primary education, sort of struggling a bit. So I, I I go back and try to help there and give uh, to make sure that they're um, I don't know again a strong a strong and solid foundation as far as for me is engineering computer engineering, but it it could it could happen at every level. It's, um, from the very young age, if people if students are involved in um, like not so good elementary schools and middle schools, like taking those kids. Um, make an investment into a life, whether you're, you're teaching them yourself or you're buying them a book um, to learn something new, anything like that. Uh, I am just all over it. I think education in general needs to be taken as serious um, as our like our national defense, as our uh, defense budget in this in this nation. Um, it's it's just as serious as a person needs to um, like eat and drink. In my view, um, so invest in someone's education helps one learn something new that's going to better them. That's great, man. It's it's true. It really does help for sure. Wherever you get educated, um, for me personally, when uh, I first went to community college, I I failed all my classes on purpose, but <laughs> that's because I didn't <laughs> know what I wanted to. I didn't know what I loved to do yet, but I decided to yeah. go to a, a Bible college in Sydney and yeah, passed all the classes there and I'm taking classes now again, straight A's, but it's really all about, you know, you got to know what you love to do and about the amount of effort you're willing to put into it for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely, dude. Um, if you're doing something you love, if you're doing something that plays to your strengths, you're setting yourself up for a win, man. It's going to be less challenging. You're going to be more excited to do those things and learn that material. If you can identify uh, those things that you're interested in that really gets you going, you're you're in a good position uh, to succeed at whatever you're going after. Um, so, yeah, that, that makes total sense. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again for coming on today. And I just want to encourage you, bro, that you're a good man and not even like in a just a behind the scenes or secret way, but you're a good man who's just on display. You're shining Jesus in all you do, and 
no matter what position you're placed in, you're always going to brighten that platform that you're on, just like you did today. So just keep doing it, man. Keep shining. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Those are very kind words, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here, man. I I don't take it lightly that you you even value my opinion or want to hear what I have to say on these matters. And um, I, I just I think it's really great what you're doing. Um, I wish you much success with it. And dude, you have a really, really good podcast voice. Like it seems like you're just <laughs> naturally meant to talk on on a, on a podcast. That's that's really cool. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Hope the listeners think the same thing, but you never know. Yeah, I'm sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Uh, you got anything you want to promote at the moment? You got a website or anything or social media? Anything you want to promote? Ah, no, man, I, I don't. Um, I mean, I have social media. Uh, I've had a website before, but no, I don't, I don't really care about those kind of things <laughs> as it relates to promoting myself, at least. Um, yeah. but I, I guess if you just wanted to follow me on Instagram, uh, Luther underscore coded, um, you can follow me there. I'm on Facebook as well. Luther Martin. Cool, um, man. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm already following you, so, you know, it's all good. I'll make sure to like all your photos, but yeah. Do that. Do that, man. I got all three, <laughs> I got three photos on my Instagram right now. Oh, dang that. Wow. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that after. Yeah. <laughs> but cool, man. Uh, thank you for coming on. Great catching up and have a good one for sure. Thanks, man. You too. Catch you later. Cool. And for everyone else, until next time, as we're maturing, we're going to keep learning, stirring up, and chasing after what our creator created us to do. Have a good one, everyone. Peace. Thanks for sticking around for the Catch Up After College podcast. And you know, while you're there, you might as well subscribe. Because we got some good content coming out every single week. Either Tuesday or Friday, check in, it will be there. And you know what, might as well give a good review as well. Make sure to rate us 5 stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can find us. And we'll just keep cranking out that great content for you week after week. If you know someone who would be a great guest for the show, the Catch Up After College podcast, or you just want to share some feedback, maybe there's some questions you haven't heard yet that you want to be heard, uh, I would tell you to email us at catchupaftercollege at gmail.com. Just for any inquiries, you can email us there, and we'll try to respond as soon as we can. That is catchupaftercollege at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you soon. Peace.